Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to a new year of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and the things that make it go up and down. We look at financial legislation that can impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deep dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand some of the details. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and click the link. You can submit your question. I'll probably contact you and get a little more information and some details, and then we can craft an answer for the show that's educational for the listeners. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update, and I want to just look at what happened in 2019 in general. Right now, as I'm taping it, it's January 6th of 2020. So the 2019 data is still very fresh. And without question, it was a magnificent year in the stock market, with the Dow up 25% and the S&P 500 up 31%. The NASDAQ was up 40%. Now, here's what's funny. Gold was also up 18%, and the aggregate bond index was up 8.68%. The aggregate bond is actually a different measure than I typically use, which is the 10-year treasury, for those of you who listen closely. But it might be actually a better measure than just the 10-year treasury. So in 2020, I'm going to be changing that index that we talk about just to give us a slightly broader picture of the bond market. So what's really unusual about 2019 is that everything was positive. With market returns the way they were, and even bonds up, you would have expected gold to be down, but it wasn't. And I think that that really demonstrates the general anxiety that seemed to drift over most of 2019 with lots of uncertainty as to what was going to be happening with tariffs and what was going to be happening with interest rates. So even though the market continued to forge on ahead, there was a lot of concern and uncertainty in the market. What's going to happen in 2020? That's what everyone always asks me. I will be perfectly honest, I do not know. You must remember that market returns like what we had last year are absolutely outside of normal. The average market rate of return over a 70-80 year period since 1929 to the present is about 11%. And so we had returns two to three times that. Remember in 2018, the market went down. And it went down during the end of the year as a direct result of both increased tariff concerns 
and the government shutdown. When the government reopened, we had a huge pop in the market in January that was mostly a reaction to what had happened in December. So that really skews what 2019 looks like. You really should look at a slightly longer period of time to get an honest representation of what the market's actually, actually doing. But that's not how people look at the market. And so they look at it in years. So this is the year's data. I just want to offer some disclaimers and things that you need to remember. Since I taped my last show last year, we have a brand new crisis on the horizon with Iran and with the um, killing of the Iranian leader. Where is that going to go? I don't know. But in the two days since that happened, the market has been down. Now, not a catastrophic drop, but there's still, this is really showing some real solid concern about what is going to happen next. Totally outside of my wheel well to be able to explain this in any great detail. But I will say that any sort of political uncertainty weighs on the market. We have a market that's just been blowing and going, and it might be a little overextended. So a little bit of a pullback related to this could be doing two things. One is it could simply be normal market action brought on by the excuse of what's going on in Iran. So we'll just have to wait and see how this plays out. I'm sure there will be more news over the coming weeks. Anything that I think is appropriate to talking about your money, we'll discuss, and I'll let you get the rest of your news from another source. And in the meantime, this year, in this segment of the show, I really want to focus more on why you would care about the stock market more than just what the returns are. I think in a financial planning context, I want to really help you understand why this information matters, really more than just the weekly reporting of what the market did. So stay tuned for more good things. And when we come back, we'll look at some of the legislation that occurred last year and talk about the trends I'm expecting for this year. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about some of the legislation that was passed or started last year and the impact that I think that it will have going forward into 2020. And I want to start with a fairly straightforward issue that's being addressed mostly on the state level, and that's the financial exploitation of seniors. And many states are now starting to pass laws trying to protect our seniors from people taking advantage of them. And this can be an unscrupulous financial advisor, but it can also be friends and family. In fact, they say that some of the biggest financial exploitation happens from someone who the person being exploited really trusts in the first place. That's how the exploitation is as easy as it is. Of course, generally what I'm worried about in this show is more of a third party, you're dealing with financial professionals, and there's some rules that are being established by that as well. 
So it's really important to know that many states now have in place rules that either toughen up the current laws about taking advantage of senior citizens or put new things in place. And if you're working with a senior in another state, or even here in Oklahoma, Oklahoma has actually one of the stricter rules about what we're supposed to do if we suspect financial exploitation. But if you're just a citizen, you need to know the rules. If you're a financial professional or a CPA, you really need to understand what your responsibilities are. Because in some states, if you think a senior is being exploited, you must report it to the authorities. In other states, the rules are a little bit softer and it says you should report it to authorities. So in any case, as our population is aging and as issues of just simply age-related dementia and Alzheimer's are becoming a really big problem for a lot of people. It's important that we put things in place to keep that part of our population safe. I'm very glad that it's going forward, and I think it's one of the better things going on right now with legislation. So the next issue is something I haven't actually talked about at all, but because it's changing, I think it's important for you as a financial consumer to know what to look for. Very recently, they have announced changes as to how registered investment advisors can advertise, and they've loosened some of the rules up. In the past, there were major differences in what someone who followed a brokerage model, a stockbroker, could say to try to attract clients versus what an investment advisor representative could say to attract clients. And what the investment advisor could say was much more curtailed than what the broker could say. And it really put those people in the investment advisory space at a huge disadvantage. Probably the biggest issue being testimonials, where in the brokerage world, brokers were allowed to use testimonials, and in the investment advisor world, they weren't. And so now those rules have been evened a little bit. And I think it's fair because it's not really right for one set of advisors to be able to do one thing and another set of advisors to have their hands tied. I do like the level playing field. However, from a consumer perspective, you always need to be very careful when someone is trying to convince you that you should do business with them. Whether they're a broker or an investment advisor, it doesn't matter. You need to have your guard up. And if someone is giving you testimonials, you might want to dig a little bit deeper, find out the source of the testimonials. You know, obviously you can't disclose the confidentiality and the privacy of clients. That always has to stay foremost to an advisor or a broker but you might do some questioning. You also should always look at any kind of performance 
that an advisor is using trying to get you to work with them. So if they're showing you market returns, portfolio performance returns, you need to ask a lot of questions. You need to ask about the risk tolerance of the portfolio. You need to ask about the time period of the portfolio. You need to ask whether or not it's gross or net of fees. And then take the data, do a little research on your own, make sure that they haven't cherry-picked the dates, the times, and the indexes. Because you can make anything look great if you choose a strange enough time horizon to do it in. So take the data, don't ever say yes the first time, go home, study it, but there's going to be a lot more data floating out there. And I want you to be careful, and I want you to understand it, and then you should work with the person who you believe is going to act in your best interest, and then everything works great. That wonderful little segue, did you hear me say the word best interest in the last sentence, really takes us to the next issue, which is such a huge can of worms that I don't know what the outcome is going to be. And that is the Security and Exchange Commission's SEC regulation best interest that they put in place last year with the implementation actually not happening until June of this year. Now, Reg BI covers many things. But the biggest issue that those of us in the investment advisory space have with it is it very clearly is not a fiduciary standard because they very clearly say it isn't, okay? They, right in the middle of the document, say this is not a fiduciary standard, and yet they call it best interest. And in the document, it says specifically, we're not going to define best interest because we believe you know what it is. <laughs> yeah, best interest is the fiduciary standard. But you just told me that that's not what it is. So it's really more important than ever as a financial consumer to ask lots of questions. And when someone says they are going to act in your best interest, you need to find out what that means. And you need to make sure that they disclose all of their fees. Where are they being compensated? How are they being compensated? Remember, nobody works for free. Investment advisors don't work for free. They typically charge a fee or an hourly fee, but they get paid. On the brokerage side, the actual compensation can be trickier to see. So you need to ask. If you've got an investment advisor, make sure they give you an invoice. If you're working with a broker, make sure you see the commission schedule. You need to know how much you're paying for what you're getting. We don't buy anything else where we don't know what we're paying for a service, and your money shouldn't be in that position either. Now, the Department of Labor is supposed to come out with something this year related to the fiduciary standard. There's some hope on the part of people who are highly supportive of Reg BI that the Department of Labor will offer some fiduciary relief from certain kinds of advisors. 
so that you wouldn't actually have to act as a pure fiduciary doing some financial services. I will keep you in the loop about this, okay? This gets super weedy and really complicated really fast. The important takeaway for you is making sure that you know how your advisor is acting and you ask them. Because, you know, a reputable advisor isn't going to care. You can say, hey, I heard it on the radio and I've got some questions. Blame it on me. I'm good with that. And see what's going on. And then you're making an informed decision. When you make an informed decision, everything tends to go really well. We will follow this going forward. The final piece is some states are sick of the SEC and the Department of Labor, and they are passing state-by-state mandatory fiduciary standards. And that's really interesting because there are groups that are wanting the courts to rule that the SEC and the Department of Labor supersede the states, again, as a way to keep that pure fiduciary responsibility out of the mix. So as that legal framework becomes more clear, because the fiduciary laws are just beginning to pass, and it's going to be a mess because it's going to be a patchwork because everybody's going to define it in their own way. But as those laws pass, it'll be interesting to see if they try to be overthrown by organizations that really doesn't want your financial advisor to have to do what's best, truly best, in a fiduciary duty to you. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk to you about fringe benefits. Fringe benefits are the benefits package that your employer offers to you as part of working for them. So the most common fringe benefit is health insurance. And often you can enroll in health insurance right from the beginning of when you're an employee. It's very important that you enroll both in health insurance as well as any other benefit that's offered as soon as you can. Because there's a law that says if you're part of a group plan and you enroll as soon as you're eligible, you don't have underwriting, which means that you can get health insurance without any um, adjustment for your health. Now, fortunately, the Affordable Care Act makes that true for all of us all of the time. But it used to be that if you waited and you had a pre-existing condition, you would be blocked out from being able to get health insurance. Life insurance is another major place where the underwriting can become problematic. So if you're eligible to purchase life insurance from your plan, then you need to look at the cost. You need to make sure that the cost is competitive, that you're paying a good price for it. You should work with a certified financial planner practitioner and figure out how much life insurance you need. That way you're not just like throwing a dart and hoping you need that much life insurance. And then purchase the correct amount as soon as you're eligible to do it. 
Because if you have cholesterol or maybe some heart issues or diabetes, as long as you enroll in the life insurance as soon as you can, none of those issues should be a problem for you. So underwriting is a huge concern. So enroll as soon as you can. The next thing to look out look at is the cost compared to purchasing it in the private market. Now, I tend to have a bit of a bias, and I will warn you right now that this is a bias. I've found that generally group plans are less expensive than private plans. I know sometimes you'll get someone who wants you to buy a private plan who will tell you otherwise, but do your own research. Always look at the cost. Look at the cost not only to insure yourself, but your spouse and your children. And then look at the spouse's insurance to check the cost of insuring you and the kids. Because one of you will have a better price, and that is the, that's the policy you should choose, especially for the children. Many times I see the husband has the policy through their work, the wife has the policy through her work, and then the kids are either with one or the other, whichever one is cheaper. So always price the group availability over the individual policies before you make a final choice. Another common insurance that's offered is disability insurance. Disability insurance is so widely misunderstood and quite frankly blown off by most people. Oh, I don't need disability insurance. And yet you are much likelier to have a short-term or a long-term disability while you're working than you are to actually die while you're working. And yet we'd never consider running without life insurance, but we run without disability all the time. Couple of things to know about disability insurance. It's likely only going to cover 60% of your salary. So it's not like when you buy disability coverage, it's the whole thing. That's why it's important to have an emergency fund, some cash saved up that could help make up that difference. So when you're doing your financial plan, it makes a lot of sense to have the cash that can offset what the disability insurance just won't cover. Disability insurance is in, divided into two kinds. There's short-term disability and long-term disability. And short-term is just what it sounds like. It takes effect a couple of weeks, couple of days after you become disabled, and then it runs for a period of months. You'll have to check with your own um, HR department to see exactly the terms of the policy. Then long-term typically picks up about the time the short-term stops, and it would run until you're 65. It runs until you're 65 because this is disability from being able to work. It's not coverage for as long as you live. So disability always ends at age 65. Often, employers offer short-term disability through your work, Often, long-term disability is purchased as a private policy from an individual insurance agent. So you're going to have to look at your financial situation and decide what works, but there's one more really important component about disability that you need to know. Sometimes in your fringe benefit package, you will have the ability to take a sum of money and either take it as cash 
or buy things with it, but it's your money. If you purchase your own disability insurance, then that policy is comes to you income tax-free if you ever need to take a benefit. If your employer buys your disability policy for you, the benefit is taxable. So remember we said that your disability coverage is only 60% of your salary in the first place. If it's taxed on top of that, now you're left with a sum of money that's better than nothing. And remember, if the employer's paid the premium, then you're not actually paying anything at all to have this coverage. But it might not be enough coverage so you guys can live through the disability comfortably. So if you have the ability to pay the policy premium on your disability insurance, you really want to think about doing that. You want to compare the numbers and see how much money you'd wind up with once you had the 40% reduction and the taxation versus paying the premium yourself and getting the full 60% income tax-free. Super important, if you've just skipped the page on disability all the times in the past, at least look it over. I'm not telling you you should buy it. I don't know what you need, but I do want you to think about it because sometimes disasters happen and we don't really appreciate how bad it can be until we either go through it or we see someone go through it. And then our perspective changes because we realize insurance is covering disasters and when disasters hit, really bad things can happen. So there can be other fringe benefits that you have as well. There might be a health savings account that lets you put some money back in tax-free dollars. Maybe your employer pays for child care, or maybe they offer a long-term care policy. Look at the benefits, look at your plan, figure out what meets your need. Then compare the cost, purchase what's appropriate for you, and this is going to help your fringe benefits meet your financial plan and help you prosper more. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And as I was reviewing the transcripts of some of my old shows, I discovered that fairly recently I gave you information that has dramatically changed due to the passage of the SECURE Act. If you listened to the show last year, you know that we thought the SECURE Act was not actually going to go into effect. But it got tacked onto the final budget bill, so now it's the law. The change I want you to be aware of is how required minimum distributions are calculated for beneficiaries of IRAs. So you have an inherited IRA and you used to be allowed to stretch those required minimum distributions over your life. So you may have heard of something called a stretch IRA. That's an IRA that was inherited and it allows you to stretch out the taxation. It was a really good deal. Well, the SECURE Act changed many things, but what I want to tell you today is you can no longer stretch the required minimum distributions over your lifetime if you inherited an IRA. 
Instead, it has to be distributed within ten years. Now, there's a few exceptions to this. If you are a spouse or disabled, chronically ill, within ten years of the age of the deceased, or certain minor children. All of those have carve-outs, but you need to talk to your estate attorney, you need to talk to your CPA, and you need to talk to your certified financial planner practitioner because this change changes estate planning dramatically and you need to decide how you're going to handle the taxation so you don't get hit with a big tax bill. You can take the distribution any time within the 10-year period, but by the end of 10 years, all of the money must be out of the account. I think it's really important to review this, be aware of it. Everything you thought you knew about this has changed, and you need to talk to professionals to make the adjustments. Well, we're just about out of time. I can't believe how fast the week went. I'll see you next time. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.